0: For whom do you work? This is Tuesday, November 2nd, and I know that's a tricky question. You might name your boss. You could name the head of your department, or even the person or group that owns the hospital, school, or company where you are employed. Now, we are in our study of the gospel and work, and this might sound like an unimportant question, but it helps to get a handle on how we see our work. I remember when growing up, if I had been given a project by my father, like cutting the grass or cleaning my room or weeding one of the beds in the front of our house, he would return and inspect my work. And if things were not completed to his standard, he could let me know and set me back to work to make it right. That's what he would do. Now, as a kid, I usually aimed at doing what would get me off the hook as quickly as possible. The least amount of work, you could say. (laughs) Give me a break. I was a kid. But this presents the question. As we think about our work as adults, what standard do we follow to measure fulfillment of our responsibility? That brings us to our scripture for today, Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 23. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Now, as Paul is addressing slaves, he makes this surprising command to followers of Jesus. In their work, they're to be wholehearted. In other words, halfway commitment is not called for. All your heart is. If you've worked anywhere, you know how tough it is to sustain motivation. Many of our callings are in places where we repeat our actions again and again. The surgeon, for example, has to remove yet another gallbladder. The mechanic must remove, replace, and remount another tire. The teacher must prepare yet another lesson and deliver the lesson to the class. Of course, there are some jobs that call for more variety, but even for the best, they too end up being, well, pretty repetitive. You could phone your work in. You could go on autopilot and check out. But Paul says we can find more than repetition in our work. How so? We find the Lord there. Notice how in our tiny section, little section of this letter to the church in Colossa, we hear him repeat the words, For the Lord. It's for the Lord. Yes, for the follower of Jesus, the Lord is in the mixed. You ever noticed how working with someone adds a completely new dimension to your work? That's why surgeons like selecting the team they will work with in the operating room. And why senior pastors enjoy choosing other pastors to work on their teams. Except in this case, Paul explains that we are working with the living God. Not only for God, but with God. Twice in scripture, we are actually called co-workers of God. The message here is that God is not far away and unengaged. He shares with you in your work. Two years ago, I began seeing a doctor for treatment of sleep apnea. My mom had it, and I seemed to have inherited this gift. The doctor that I saw seemed very little interested in me or my case. Likely he had seen so many patients like me that, well, it just was uninteresting. I get it. This is not exciting stuff, but work that must be done. He could hardly give me his attention. But the second time I showed up to see him, he had a medical student shadowing him. He was teaching her. That appointment was the best that I had. He was engaged and interested. He communicated well with me and willingly answered my questions. It was amazing. I thought, well, if only he could have a new student with him every time he saw a patient, he'd probably be an amazing doctor. You see, Paul is saying here, that we have God attending us. Even though your boss does not have her eyes on you, God is present with you as you are working. And he is doing more than what my father did, just checking up to see that the projects that he gave me were done right. He's also sharing in the work with you. As I think about this faithfulness, a faithfulness that reaches to the end, I think of the Apostle Paul You know, as he got older, he didn't become bored or disinterested in his work. He didn't flag before he reached the finish line. Here's what he said as his ministry was closing. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Not only to me but also to all who have longed for his appearing. That's 2 Timothy 4, 7, and 8. That's how I want to finish the race in my life. Not doing the minimum, but enjoying the the time I have to be God's co-worker in the world where he's called me to be. I think that's what makes it an adventure. It's knowing that God shares in what we're doing. He's engaged with us in all our work. This is all possible through Jesus, who finished the race and was faithful to the end, because of him and this fellowship, this communion that he's given us with God, that it's made possible that we can come to enjoy and know and experience God in our work. Let's pray. Gracious and loving Father, we rejoice to know that you enter into life with us, that even the most mundane of our tasks is done in your presence and before your face. Teach us how to live and work wholeheartedly, for in your name we pray. Amen.